Hello and welcome to Smart Businesses Do This. Today I am joined by the one and only George Appling, who is one of my personal mentors. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Now, I have been blessed to have some amazing individuals in my life, but this is the gentleman that I realized I wanted to guide me through growing up and not being an entrepreneur and not being a freelancer and not being somebody who's in the grind, but being an actual business owner. And what I, what I always call George is my corporate mentor. George helps me actually understand why we need to do things in a corporate way, why, why businesses do that and why it makes it that much more successful. We're business partners in ventures. I've got to work with him before um, as, uh, as an employee and I'm telling you this guy is the absolute real deal. And today he's gonna be sharing the corporate habits that you need to adopt in 2023. So George Appling, thank you so much. Glad to be here, Adam. Yeah, glad to be here. So if you wouldn't mind starting with just a few of your accolades, what, what have you done, sir? Uh, duh. At the moment, I have uh, eight companies, six horses, three kids, two households, and I don't actually work that much, so it's pretty good. <laughs> um, I call myself now a, a passionpreneur, so I uh, run businesses that I have a long, you know, genuine passion for, uh, like a medieval theme park. We can go through all of them if you want, but, uh, you know, quick one minute on history. Um, I had three phases of my career. Phase one was strategy consulting. I was a partner with McKinsey and Company. I was a partner with Booz and Company. There's a kind of like big hundred year old global strategy firms. I uh, did that after um, I did two bachelor's degrees at AM, two master's degrees at Harvard. Then phase two was cell phone distribution. I was the chief operating officer of Brightstar, which is the world's largest cell phone distribution company. We're about five billion in revenue back then. And then my big corporate job, I was chairman and CEO of personal communications devices. Uh, about a billion dollars in revenue, sold that. Uh, I was private equity owned, sold it. And now, yeah, phase three is an entrepreneur or a passionpreneur. So I just do stuff that I love. Um, it's a medieval theme park, a medieval summer camp, a mead business, fermented honey. I've got a quarterly business review in the mead business tonight after this. Uh, I do executive coaching, uh, rent a castle, all sorts of goofy stuff that I, I basically play dress up and swing stores with my friends for a living. Which is, which is how we met. Uh, that's the truth. So uh, one of the things I love about you, George, is because of your background, um, you you do have all this corporate knowledge. But now, because you're a passionpreneur, you also have that understanding of why people like to start new projects, and 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 that you can't always start with a full corporate corporation. However, it does pay to adopt some of the mindset and the strategies. So, um, obviously, what would you say is the first step? Why should somebody do this? Why can't they just be an entrepreneur forever? And well, I think the more you adopt proven habits and strategies from companies that have been doing it for a long time, the more successful you're going to be, uh, and you know, probably the less risk you're going to take. So, uh, if you want me to, to jump into the first one, yeah. uh, I'd happily to. So, Please. I, I've picked some th corporate habits that small businesses ought to do, and they probably don't. And so, it might be a little bit dry, but you really ought to do some of these things. The first one is asset protection. Um, asset protection, the, the logic is the following. The more you succeed, the wealthier you get, the more likely you are to get sued. Uh, so, have you ever been sued? 
I haven't directly been sued yet. However, three of my clients have been sued while I've been coaching them enough. And I've seen the stress enough that I am very, very protected. Yeah. And very. so that's, you know, the, but the more successful you get, the more likely you are to be sued. And you don't have to do anything wrong to get sued, right? You don't. I could sue Adam for wearing a gray t-shirt. Again. And I could just make up that, Adam, I told you three times that gray t-shirts give me a migraine. And you wore that on purpose because you're a bad person. And I negotiated, a, I had a $10 million negotiation with T-Mobile last night or, or tonight. And I screwed it up because you wore that gray t-shirt. So you owe me $10 million. Really, like you don't need to do anything wrong and get sued. Anyway, so what is asset protection? Uh, I'll give you like five, what I think are kind of clever tips on asset protection. Uh, rule number one is asset co and operating co. If you've got one business and you have assets, you're probably doing something wrong. So asset co is a business that has your assets, land, buildings, patents, equipment, cars and trucks, all of the assets that have value are in asset co. Then there's Operating Co. or Opco. Opco runs your business. They have contract, hundreds of contracts, suppliers, customers, vendors, partners, ad agencies, whatever. The whole business is an Operating Co. Asset Co. has one contract, and it's leasing all the assets to Operating Co. And an Operating Co. has hundreds of contracts because it's running the business. And the reason you do that is that it's Operating Co. that gets sued. And it's hard to sue Asset Co. because no one is doing business with Asset Co. You don't have a contract with Asset Co. Nobody does. So you sue Operating Co. Well, Operating Co. doesn't have any assets, which means if you're going to lose, you can just you can just close Asset uh, Operating Co. You just bankrupt it, and then create New Co. And what does New Co. do? Does a lease. <laughs> it does a lease to with Asset Co. Leases all the assets, and you're right back in business. So that's kind of Asset Protection 101. It's a you should really have your assets in one company that has one contract with your operating company that's been doing your business. I'm going to try to give you five tips on, uh, on asset protection. So that was one, asset cover is code. Two is if you have toys, put them in an LLC. By that, I mean um, recreational vehicles, boats, ATV, um, whatever toys you have, put them in an LLC. And the reason is that if someone gets hurt using your toy, say your boat, then you, Adam doesn't own that boat. Adam Toyco owns that boat. So you don't sue Adam or you're not going to successfully sue Adam. You're going to sue Adam Toyco. And then you're constraining that liability to uh, Adam Toyco. And so if they win, you might have to give them your boat, right? Or you may have to liquidate uh, you know, Toyco, but they're not coming after your second house. They're not coming after your second Maserati. They're suing the company that owns the asset. And that's, you know, Adam's asset or Adam's Toyco LLC. So if you have toys, put them in an LLC. Uh, third, and this is a, I had a, you, you were there for this, I think. A guy tell me this and half the crowd went, Oh, oh God, I'm not allowed to curse, am I? You can cuss. Can yeah. I? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. This, I had this guy say that. Uh, tell me this next tip and half the crowd went, oh, fuck. He said, don't co-own the cars with your children. Because if your child gets in a wreck, the person they get in a wreck with can sue the owner of the car. And if your name is on the title of the car, they can sue you. And if they can sue you, they can come after your second house. They can come after your second car. They can come after your uh, 800th pair of shoes. Um, so let your kids own their own cars and it'll make them feel better about it anyway. So that's three. I promise five. Four, um, have great bookkeeping. Uh, great bookkeeping. And 
the reason for that is, and what I mean by that is, it, keep the business's money and your personal money completely separate. Do not mix that stuff up. Because if you're conflating the business's money and your personal money, that's how someone can sue you and quote unquote, pierce the corporate veil, meaning they can come after your personal stuff, right? Because what they're saying is there's no difference between the company's money and your personal money. So I'm suing you as a human. If your company's books are clean, then they'll sue the company and they'll never get to you and your stuff. And then the only thing that's at risk is the assets are in the company getting sued which are roughly none because you have Opco. All right. So, um, very, very clean books. Also, if you ever want to sell a company, the cleaner your books are, the higher the valuation because you're going to get much more people interested. And the fifth, uh, fifth tip is, I'll, I'll tell you this, uh, 80% of Americans with a net worth of 5 million or more have an umbrella insurance policy. And an umbrella insurance policy is, uh, it sits on top of all of your other insurance policies, like your car and your homeowners and all this stuff. It's, it's, it's an extra level of protection so that if you have a party at your house and someone falls down and cracks their head open uh, and they sue you, your homeowner's insurance policy will take care of you know whatever that limit is, a million dollars, for example, but your umbrella was, would then be another million. So it's, it's very common. And the problem is, as you grow in wealth, you, you tend to figure out that you should have an umbrella insurance policy one lawsuit too late. <laughs> so hopefully, just take it from me. Uh, if your wealth is getting up there into the three, four, five million, just get one. They're cheap. It's like four hundred dollars a year. So that's the the first corporate habit that small businesses may or may not be doing is protect your assets. And there's a whole world out there, and, and law firms dedicated to this asset protection. It's really worth doing. Yeah, I, and I love that you're sharing this. It's I've absolutely seen the devastating effects of what happens when you lose it. And uh, I'll share with you guys the story because here's what happened. Um, there was a a gentleman, a staff member who was a freelancer working for my client and crashed his own vehicle while working for my client and crashed into a car of a couple of illegal immigrants who had to go to hospital and file on insurance and the insurance filed the claim against him. So it didn't matter they were illegally immigrants because it was the insurance company that were coming after him for the money that they had to pay the hospital to get it fixed. And he said, no problem, I'll let my insurance company handle it. Well, so we've got two insurance companies talking to each other. The suing insurance company filed for 28 million and his coverage was 2 million. And so his insurance company went, Uh, This is a lot of effort. Here's the 2 million. Hey, you owe 26 million. And he went, come again. And so he wanted to fight this, but couldn't because he'd already already gone to court and already been resolved because he allowed his insurance company to handle it on his behalf because he assumed they would fight it, not wanting to pay. But they just decided that they didn't want to deal with the hassle or the paperwork. So when that came after him, uh, I watched as it is suddenly the very real eventuality came that they could come after everything because he wasn't structured correctly. Um, thankfully he appealed, he had to hire four lawyers. It became, it was millions of dollars in legal fees. He ended up settling for millions of dollars, but then had to restructure the business afterwards because I got to witness all of this. And of course, um, still charged him for my day rate while I was there, which was great. Um, so I still got paid, but I then restructured my entire companies around this. So I, I'm telling like George isn't wrong, but the way most people do this 
is they lose a legal case and then say, I don't want to get burnt the second time. But that first time hurts so much. Just do it now. It's a little bit of paperwork. It's just more than you want to do. And you don't realize it's important until it's too late. Because once the proceedings are starting, that's it. You don't get to reactively protect yourself. Do it now. Absolutely right. Yeah, I'll add another little trick on the on the insurance dimension. It was a lesson learned the hard way. Like it went wrong for me, and now I got it fixed. I used to have a so I run a theme park. So there's like hundred thousand people coming and drinking and watching jousting and having fun. And um, I had a general liability insurance policy that said uh, we will cover X and Y and Z. And, I th- and it looked like that was a lot of stuff. But then I got sued for A, and I'm, I wasn't covered. Now my insurance policy says, we'll cover anything except MNO. <laughs> and then like, MNO, I got that. I know what MNO are, and I, I will pay attention to that. But they're going to cover anything else. So I sleep a lot better with an insurance policy that says, we'll cover everything except one or two, three, versus an insurance policy that says, we will cover one, two, three things. Yeah, that's really, really strong. And by the way, Sherwood Forest Fair, it's just outside of Austin. It's about an hour east. Highly, highly recommend you go. It's not a Renaissance fair. It's a medieval fair, which means it's knights and Robin Hood, and it's a different experience and highly, highly recommended. I'm just going to do that little plug for you. You should. Thank you. I like it. You should totally go. It's uh, March and April this year, every year. So Awesome. Okay. Uh, so what's next? What's the next? Next. Thing? So uh, the next thing is I call Elevate. And what I mean by Elevate is elevating the owner slash CEO. And, and the argument is this. If you are going to sell a company, the number one risk that buyers rate is that the company's too reliant on the CEO or the, the I'm just going to use the word owner and assume you're the owner CEO. Buyers get scared off buying a company where the owner is really deep in running things. So the more a business can run without the owner, the higher the multiple on exit, the more a buyer will pay for it. But there's more than that, right? So not only is your company going to be worth a lot more money if it can run without you, I promise you, you will be happier. You will be much happier if your company can run without you. Like I've got, I think, eight companies and they can all run without me. If I died right now, heaven forbid, all eight of my companies would be completely okay. Yeah. Right? Even sure it would be completely fine. Um, and so then there's a lot underneath that. What does that mean? Elevate. So what I mean is be, be very intentional and say to yourself, all right, in, in this year, 2023, what I'm going to do, I'm going to make sure my business can run without me. And that may be standard operating procedures. That may be good governance, which is I'm going to talk about next. It may be hiring uh, better leaders. It may be hiring a general manager or a president. Um, you know, it could be, you know, making sure everyone's got KPIs. It could be a lot of those things, but be very intentional about 2023, I'm going to make sure my company can run without me. Uh, or at least when you get to that point, let's say once you get to a million or two in revenue, you want to make sure it runs without you. And what I, what I find is really kind of fascinating is there comes this point in the growth of a, of a new business where the owner has to take a leap of faith and hire a president or a COO or a GM when they really can't afford it. But if they do it, it'll free them up to pursue growth opportunities. And so what I find in my, my coaching business is if you can see real growth opportunities that you're not going after because you're turning screws, then take the leap of faith. 
hire the GM, hire the president, hire the COO, and then go bust your ass to earn that person's salary by capturing those growth opportunities. If you can't see the growth opportunities, then you probably shouldn't take the leap of faith. But if you can see them, um, you know, just have the courage. Like I say, you've got a million dollar business and you're putting $200,000 in your pocket and hiring a GM will cost you 150 grand a year. Well, that's most of your salary. But if you can see the next million in revenue and you're the person who can go get it, take the leap of faith and go get it. Is that, would you agree with that? I, I 100 million percent. I spent a large chunk of last year purposely, um, I like to call it like putting the brakes on the vehicle to see if it would still move, even if I, if I put the brakes on. And it did. I just, there were times where I purposely refused to work on things that I knew I could fix to allow them to collapse so that a staff member would pick them up and fix them. And it cost me money and it was painful. And I definitely lost face in a few scenarios, but my team did pick it up eventually and they did move it. And is it what I want it to be? No. But does it work? Yes. And that's part of it. I found like it doesn't work as well as if I did it and I have to accept an 80% the quality rating compared to what I would do. But in the eyes of my customers, they're, they're very happy. They're, they're very happy with the work. And so I'm like, well, I can't say anything just because I think I can do it better. Um, and actually that's one of the things I get hired for. Uh, a lot of companies, they'll bring me in one day a month to help the CEO spot what they're getting to in on. And I'm like, Hey, why are you handling that? We've got to let this guy do it. And he's like, but, but, but I was like, there's no buts. You're not doing it. And I'm like, this guy's doing it. Then sometimes you do need that. You need somebody to come in and do it. There was a really good conversation actually with a gentleman in the crowd earlier, George, that um, I'm going to get you to address. He said, he feels like every time he looks at one area of the business, it's great. And then everything he's not looking at collapses. Mm -hmm. And then when he turns his head and looks in the other way, then everything there collapses. And he feels like a headless chicken with no chicken wire or goat wire whatsoever. So what would you, uh, what would you say to that guy? That, that's almost certainly people, yeah. right? That means you need better people. You got to get the right butts in the right seats on the bus, right? Yeah. That's it. It almost has to be yeah. the, the people. Uh, and that's another thing I think small business owners should do, but this isn't a corporate habit. It's just good business. Like get your C players gone, right? It'll be worth it. Even if you love them, you, you know, they'll probably be happier do finding something else where they can be an A or a B player. Uh, but surround yourself with A and B players. George has a 100% success rate of guessing which staff members I'm going to get rid of three to six months before I get rid of them by getting me to grade them. And I'm like, no, I think this guy is going to be good. And George's like, okay, make the mistake. And then three to six months later, I'm like, you know, that guy that you said might not be good and I should get rid of. I just had to get rid of them. And George's like, wow. Yeah. yeah. Shocker. Yeah. The other thing I'd say, and this, this isn't the, the third habit, but you can, you can fire people with love, right? And it's, you know, usually when you got to get rid of someone, it's because they're not good at what you want them to do. But when you get to that point, you actually know what they are good at. Yeah. So then you can go help them find what they're good at. So that's kind of what I've done over my career is when I need to fire someone, I'm like, I'm firing you because you're really bad at this. And you know that because we've talked about it. I'm like, yeah, I know I'm really bad at this. But what you'd be really good at is this over here. And I've got an interview for you. Right. So I've actually stayed friends with a bunch of people that I fired. Yeah. I, yeah we use that technique. Um, have you had my, my wife's favorite technique for firing people? I'm going to steal it because I've got the microphone and she doesn't. But her favorite thing to say is um, we're going to have to let you go. On vacation forever. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> yeah. God, that's great. Uh, and then, so the third uh, corporate habit that I want to talk about is is governance. It's a, a little bit boring, but the more you do it, the, the happier you're going to be. It also enables elevation. And by governance, I mean like a, an operating system for how you run the business. Um, the most popular one out there is called the Entrepreneurial Operating System. Uh, it's, there's a book called Traction that describes that. It's a, it's a massive movement. Millions of companies are doing it. That's probably a little much. You kind of need to be, you know, five million plus to to worry about EOS, mm -hmm. but you can do a lot of that stuff yourself. And it's, it, here's an example of, a, of an operating system. You've got your vision and values and they never change, right? You know, here are the values that we live by, that we operate by, and here's the, here's what we're trying to do. Right, that's the vision. And then each year, in say January, you create your big five objectives for the year and your big five objectives need to be quantifiable. And there might be one around customers, there might be one around financials, there might be one around staff, there might be one around technology or operations, but you got five big objectives that are all quantifiable. And then you roll that down into KPIs for each department in your business, such that the KPIs um, roll into the big five objectives, right? There, it may be a net promoter score or an EBITDA or a uh, Q12 staff engagement, whatever. Everybody's got KPIs that roll into the big five objectives. And then, you know, once a quarter, you have a quarterly business review and you check on the KPIs and you put your energy where the KPIs are, are lacking. Um, and then you've, you've got your cadence of quarterly business review, uh, maybe a monthly check-in, maybe a 15-minute weekly touch point with your direct reports. Uh, so, just having that cadence and governance that everybody knows what's happening when, it creates discipline. So if your team knows that they've got a 15-minute check-in every week, they better have their shit together or they're going to be embarrassed. And then you have a quarterly business review where all the KPIs for every department are going to be shown amongst the whole leadership of the team. If your KPIs suck, you're going to be really embarrassed in front of your peers. And so you, when you see that coming, you, you double down to hit your numbers. So you create discipline with governance. And then the, the more kind of structured and disciplined your governance is, the easier it's going to be for you as the owner CEO to elevate and make sure the business can run without you. So those two and three are kind of synergistic. Yeah, I do. I, yeah, I, I think that's so fabulous. And you know, for everyone here, like it's worth, if you haven't read Traction, reading Traction and going through that and working on it. Um, for those of you guys in our mastermind, you know, we have an EOS implementer as part of the mastermind, uh, Jen Carrasco, who will happily guide you through implementing it and doing it. So if you haven't taken advantage of her yet inside the mastermind, like it's literally $12,000 a day to have her do that in your company. And it's included in our mastermind to have her guide you through doing it. So for those of you guys that are in that, you, you should totally do it. Um, sweet. And so, um, anything else? What else uh, would you say? If you have more time, I've, I got, have I've got, got a couple more. We've got like an extra like eight minutes. Eight minutes. All right. So I'll do another one. This may sound a little bit self-serving, but it's not because my my Vistage group is is full. Uh, there's this great world out there of um, of peer advisory and coaching for small and medium business owners. Uh, I mean, you do a lot of that, and uh, since these guys are here, they're probably pretty attuned to that stuff. Uh, but the one I do is called Vistage. It's it's a 65-year-old company, and what it does is you get, say, 12 uh, local SMB CEOs together for a full day once a month, and you help each other solve problems. Uh, and then you have a chair, that's that's me for my group, that also does one-to-one -one coaching with, with each of the members. It's really affordable. It's really powerful. Uh, and it's it's extraordinary the creativity that comes out of, you know, imagine this group sitting in a circle talking about your problem. 
or talking about your problem for 30 minutes or an hour. The, the problem solving is extraordinarily powerful. Um, I'll give you a very quick example. Um, I've got a, a member running a um, virtual mental health company and his challenge was hiring uh, providers, uh, you know, psychiatrists and stuff. And very smart guy, you know, had a perfect six point plan to do it, but he took it to the group and some one of the members said, well, you could probably get um, mental health practitioners from the military. And they're, they could moon gets virtual, so you could just do it you know, nights and weekends. And the guy's like, it's brilliant, right? And it's like that 100% of the time. So seek out advice, right? I think you're here doing that, but yep. keep doing that. Yeah, I love that. And then the other one uh, I would say is completely off topic, but I feel very strongly about it. You're you're going to like this, and <laughs> your friend in the back is about to perk up. Um, everybody knows that you should invest in your physical fitness. But I'm going to make a very rational case as to why you're absolutely insane if you don't. So here's the thing. I'm going to define vigorous physical activity. The vigorous physical activity is getting your heart rate to 60 to 80% of maximum uh, for at least 30 minutes. So maximum heart rate is 220 minus your age. So if you're 20 years old, your max heart rate is 200. So 80% is 160. So you need to get your heart rate 120 to 160 if you're 20 years old. For 30 minutes a day, five to six days a week. So that's what I'm saying is vigorous physical activity. Sword fighting counts, right? Got it. So Got vigorous it. physical activity. So it could be sword fighting. It could be weightlifting. It could be uh, jogging, right? But it's not yoga, right? Because you're not getting your heart rate up. So here are the correlations with vigorous physical activity. It's strongly negatively correlated with heart disease, which is the number one killer in America. It's negatively correlated with cancer, which is the number two killer in America. It's negatively correlated with anxiety. It's negatively correlated with depression. It's negatively correlated with suicide attempts. It's positively correlated with longevity. That's good. It's positively correlated with reported happiness, meaning like psychologists ask you, are you happy on a one to 10 scale and you struggle the number, right? The vigorous activity people score a lot higher. And so those are seven like real correlations with vigorous physical activity. Oh, eight. It is correlated with brain health. I don't mean mental. I already did mental health, like yeah. anxiety, depression, brain health, meaning auditory memory, visual memory, synthesis, deduction. All those things are higher in people who are doing physical, vigorous physical activity. That's eight. And the last one I'm going to make up. So I don't have data on the last one, but I think there's a correlation between looking hot and having people want to roll around naked with you, which is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, finally got Brett to applaud on that one. He's like, roll around naked, yeah! Brett didn't care about any of the others, but that was the one that, that mattered for him, uh, which I think is awesome. So, um, we have a question? Yeah, go for it. We've got a question from a virtual person. Sure. All right, the question's on equity holdings. The question is, should equity holdings be used as collateral financing? Let me repeat the question. So the question is, should equity holdings be used as collateral financing? Uh, that sounds really risky because what you're doing is you're putting the ownership of your business at risk, right? Because if you then default... And you you have you owe the debt provider your your company. Uh, that's obviously highly risky. So I would only do that if you absolutely had to. And there's usually other ways to um, to get debt financing or raise capital. There's a lot of other ways. So I, I would be a little bit I would be very wary of that because you're, you're creating a risk of losing your business. Love it. Any other questions, Daniel? No, that's it. Perfect. Cool. Um, all right. Well, so we're getting towards the end, George. We always ask people, what is 
What, what do smart businesses do? So if you were going to say smart, smart businesses do this, what is the thing they should do? Smart businesses do asset protection. <laughs> right. What I love about this is George does not offer asset protection or any training on asset protection. He's just a business owner that really believes in asset protection, which I think is great. Because if I brought in an asset protection lawyer, like he'd be talking about, he'd be like, yeah, whatever, you're selling your stuff. This is someone who's just a very, very successful business owner. It's like, you really need asset protection. So it's uh, it's 100% worth uh, you know making sure that you do that and, and structuring it correctly. Uh, if you uh, if any of you are interested and you want to talk more about it, then you know please feel free to reach out to George or to me um, about that. George, if people want to find you, how can they find you? Uh, George at SherwoodForestFair.com nice. uh, or George.Ampling at VistageChair.com. Or go to Sherwood Forest Fair and ask for King Richard. That's right. King Richard's on crusade now. Oh. You're, you're going to enjoy this. So King Richard's gone. Uh-huh. I'm playing a different character. Okay. And I get my ass whooped. Why would I enjoy that? And we did that. I did this huge three-weapon fight for the cast last weekend, and they all lost their minds. They're like, seeing you get your ass kicked is so weird. <laughs> That's awesome. So what's the name of your new character? Uh, Jeffrey Plantagenet, Archbishop of York. Okay, perfect. So the Archbishop of York. Yeah, so there we go. <laughs> Excellent. Um, thank you ever so much for tuning in and watching Smart Businesses Do This. This episode was sponsored by The Working Vacation, which is a seven-day cruise that we take you on. We dive deep in your business, give you one-on-one -on -one training, group training, help you understand what you can do to grow the business in less time than you would normally take to do it, all while still having lots of time to spend time with your loved ones, family, etc., etc. Our next cruise goes to Alaska. Thanks ever so much for George Appling. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.